started last week, Luke started off this sermon series on anointing, or the anointing. Is uh, we we wanted to specify it's the anointing. It's not an, an anointing. It is the anointing. I don't know if you had this experience, but I I like a, like you know I grew up in a Dutch Reformed church, so conservative, and then I entered this charismatic community, and along with entering into this community came a different language. Suddenly they started talking about tongues. I'm like, what is, what is tongues? It's the plural form for a tongue. But no, it's actually more than that. It's speaking in a language that, that speaks mysteries unto God, that builds up, your, builds up your spirit, which is biblical. But then also this word anointing. So people would say, wow, that preacher is really anointed, or that young guy is really anointed. Look, what happens when he prays for people or when he goes out and evangelizes, all of the people get saved. When I go and out and evangelize, they just go get offended. So what is this anointing? And uh, in a way, it became just a, a word. So we would say, well, there's something special in that person's life, and that is an anointing, which is also not incorrect, but we want to define anointing according to Scripture so that we can actually understand And we can actually grow in it. Because there is, according to Scripture, a way that you can grow in your anointing. In whatever this anointing is. So the definition we want to look at is that anointing is to be set apart with a supernatural grace. To stand in an office and or to fulfill a task or a mission. So it sounds like the anointing is helpful if we just look at this definition. And if you study the scripture, you'll see that this is what happened. Luke already started last week in just the Old Testament kind of context for anointing the priests. We had David, we had um, the prophets, all of them were anointed. And by the way, anointing in, in the Old Testament was basically this, just some olive oil and you smeared it over, over the person or you threw it over the person depending on how much you have. And that would be then to be anointed. That's where the word comes from. But it represented something so much more than just the physical act of being full of oil. I was a a teenager and I got bad skin problems. And then I went to varsity and still continued into varsity. So I wasn't really too open for people anointing my whole head and my forehead with oil. Because it felt like the, the pimples will just return. But what is this? What is this anointing? We want to look at. We want to look at that. So, and I specifically want to give you a few pointers on how to grow the anointing in your life, because you can actually do it. But first, it's always good to start with Jesus, and then we move from there. So, Jesus, perfect theology. He is the one that defines everything for us. So, let's look at. And Luke also quoted the scripture last week. Let's look at what Jesus said. So in, in Luke 4, Jesus just came out of, out of the desert. Then he went, he went to his hometown, and he said this. He picks up the scroll of Isaiah, 60, of Isaiah, reads from Isaiah 61, and says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed. And that Greek word is ekristen. Can you hear what it sounds like? My Greek is a little rusty. Christian. What does it mean? What it, can you hear what it 
There's a, there's a word there that you can maybe connect it with. Okay, so let's go on. Me to proclaim what? To good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus basically saying, hey, I'm going to take this as my mission statement. But he's making a profound statement with that. He says, this is what I want to do. Gospel to the poor. Prisoners to be released. Sight to the blind. The year of the Lord's favor. Oppressed must be set free. But I'm going to do it under the grace, under something, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the word for anointing, it is Christ. So he's basically saying, listen here, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah that you're waiting for. That's why they got offended when you read the scripture. So when we are saying Jesus Christ, what we're actually saying is we're saying Jesus, the anointed one. But because we use the word Christ, we don't think of it, wow, that's where, that's where the anointing idea comes from. It comes from the Old Testament that says, one day there will come a anointed one. And he will deliver the people of their sin. He will make right what Adam and Eve messed up. So from the word go, if you're a Christian, you are actually calling yourself a little anointed one. If you say, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian, you say, hey, I'm anointed. Because that's what the word means. And that's not wrong. So you're already tapping into a truth that you can walk with, that you can actually use, that you can build on for a mission. And I love that Jesus' mission, if you look at what he did, he didn't come to build a building or establish an institution. All of these things that he's, he's doing here, it's talking about people. It says gospel to the poor people, sight to the blind people. Freedom to the oppressed people. So Jesus is saying, hey, I have a mission, but I also have a supernatural grace to accomplish this mission. And this supernatural grace comes from the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the anointed one. And if we want to follow in his footsteps, we also need to understand that we are anointed and also how the anointing works. Acts 10 verse 37, 38 Peter is now explaining who Jesus was and what's happening currently in the church. He says this, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God did what? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. As far as we know, we didn't see any oil being poured out on Jesus at his baptism. So there was a supernatural thing that happened at his baptism, John's baptism, that anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So this is also just Peter saying, hey, what he said in the beginning of his mission, of his ministry, he also fulfilled. So you cannot fulfill the task that God has given you, the mission that God has given you, and all of you have received something from the Lord if you don't have the anointing. 
Because we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps. We want to be Christians, little anointed ones. But then there's also a note that we need to just keep in the back of our minds that John helps us with when he talks about there's an anti-anointing. The anti-Christ. Anti-anointing. It's not anti-Jesus. It's anti-anointing. And uh, for those of you who've now helped us a little with freedom counter and deliverance, you'd often find that people would say, Jesus, but they won't, will not be able to say, Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the Lord. Because there are many Jesuses, even now, there in this world, especially in Latin America, you'll find people with the name Jesus. But there's a specific Jesus that's the Savior of the world, the Anointed One, Jesus the Christ. So it's interesting that the Spirit that will come, that's already here, John says, is an Antichrist anointing or, or Spirit. Not an anti, only Jesus. So John says, children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, that, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So what I read into this is that whenever we go after the anointing, the fact that God wants to move on us, on us, but also through us, then there will be a, a resistance from the spiritual realm because they hate not the Jesus inside of you only, but the anointing of Jesus on you. That's why often when, when the Holy Spirit starts moving in, in, a, in a church service like this or People complain about speaking in tongues or that, that person now laughed because you're allowed to cry in church. You're not allowed to laugh in church or there's a manifestation. We've seen in, our, um, in, in Swakopmund and Wolfus by, by also. Then we say, listen here, it's always God that's moving. Yes, sometimes people try and they want to attract attention to themselves and they would go like make funny things and just be weird. But that's just antisocial behavior. But when there's a demon manifesting or somebody is laughing in the spirit and it's real and you know that that person is, has character, you can say, well, it's God that's moving. We don't even give credit to the devil. If there's a, somebody that's screaming on the floor saying, hey, I hate this person and I hate that thing and I got hurt there because that's often what happens. The demons try and intimidate us. Then we just say, well, it's not the demons that are doing anything. It's God that's doing that. Something Because the reason why this person is manifesting demons is because of the presence of God. Not because he wants to. Because of the presence of God. The man, Gadarene man that went to Jesus, he, he fell to the ground and the demons exclaimed, Wow, son of God. They started manifesting just because of the presence of God. So it's so important that we understand that there's an anointing, but there's also an anti-spirit that will come against the anointing. So how do we grow in anointing? Because we want to want to do this. We want to be Christ-like, little anointed ones. First, you need to prepare to be set apart, and you can find these examples in Jesus' life, but also in 
and somebody like Elijah. I'm going to look at a few scriptures in referring to, to his life. So first one is we need to be prepared to be set apart. So you prepare yourself for God to do the work. You cannot set yourself apart, but God can. He's the one doing the thing. First of all, you need to count the cost. So you're going to say, Jesus, I want this. I want this anointing. I want the supernatural grace to fulfill this task and this mission or to step into this office that you've called me into. But now you need to count the cost. Because if that is your mission, then there's going to be something else maybe that your flesh desires that's not going to be your mission. You're going to have to lay down something. You maybe spend less time with your family. Family is great, high priority. Maybe you're going to sacrifice some money. Maybe you're going to sacrifice some time. Maybe you're even going to sacrifice some of your reputation. Count the cost. So basically, you need to do expectation management with yourself. Am I willing, if I'm starting this journey with the anointing, am I willing to follow it through? Because I don't want to end up 77 and then throw out everything that I learned about Jesus because of the resistance, because of the anti-Christ. Second, empty yourself. Because now, if we understand that the anointing comes through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit must come inside of you. It must be an infilling of the Holy Spirit that happens before you're really anointed. So in order for the Holy Spirit to take just hold of all of your life, you need to empty yourself. And how do you empty yourself? You confess and you repent. And every freedom encounter, we do this. Say, listen here, one of the stupidest things that you can do in your life is sin. Why? Because it keeps you away from Jesus Christ. Who if you want to get rid of stupid things in your life? Raise your hand. <laughs> and then everybody at this freedom encounter is going, yes, I want to confess my most horrible sin. Why? Because it's stupid. It's keeping me from my lifeline. It's keeping me from God. It's keeping me from the mission that God has called me to. So confess. And then repentance. Repentance is... it's. It almost it encapsulates confession, but it's so much more than that. It means that you're not only turning away from sin, from your lifestyle, your wickedness, but you're also to, turning towards something. And you're also receiving what God says about your sin after you've confessed it. And this is a big problem in church. People confess their sin, but they don't receive God's thoughts over their sin, about their sin, after they've confessed it. We think, okay, so now I've confessed it, so I will not carry that into heaven. But you don't understand that God's actually wanting to set you free completely. For you to understand that you're not holy, that you are cleansed. 1 John 1 verse 9 says that God, when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? Unrighteousness is everything that keeps us away from a right standing with the Lord. In other words, relationship with the Lord. So you prepare yourself by emptying yourself. 
Jesus, his big message was what? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn towards God for the kingdom of God is at hand. Pray the dangerous prayer. So this is Jesus before he is now laying down his life on the cross in the garden of Gethsemane. He says, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Not my fleshly desires, not my dreams, not the things that I, I want for my children. Your will. It's a, it's a dangerous prayer. Because just after that prayer, you're going to go and have to do something because God's going to tell you, hey, listen here, if you want to be obedient, if you want to walk in this anointing and fulfill this task that I've called you to do, you're going to have to sacrifice your will and your desires. So now go. It's, it's a dangerous prayer. And if you're not willing to pray this prayer, it comes in almost undercount the cost. Don't do it. Because you don't want to go halfway. You want to go the full term. We don't want to abort the mission. And then, number four, make that sacrifice. I love that in, in just after Elijah, or Elijah's calling Elisha, he throws his cloak over him, and, uh, which means now he's, he was wanting him to be one of the students. And just after that, Elijah and Elijah has a quick conversation, and then Eli, it, it just seems that Elijah made a decision, now I'm going to follow this man. I'm going to walk after him. So what does he do? He, he sacrifices all the oxen that he's busy working with, and he takes his implements, use that as the word for the sacrifice, and then follows Elijah. Elijah. He says, okay, I'm, I think this is the right way. I'm going to sacrifice into that direction. I'm going to go for that. I'm going to be obedient. So you need wisdom in that, but I think we need to be bold. We need to be bold. Okay, God, this is where you're calling me to. I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to sacrifice. God's talking to you about adopting babies. Then you need to fill in the papers, and you need to adopt a baby. Well, a massive sacrifice. Last night I was walking, just finished the sermon, was walking to my room, and then two of my little babies are lying in my bed. I'm like, okay, then it's not my bed tonight. Babies are a sacrifice. Maybe God's calling you to, to minister to poor people. Maybe God's calling you to reach out to your neighbor. Or maybe God's saying, hey, listen here, instead of having family time over the weekend, you need to invite people into your home. Or maybe you need to sacrifice some of your leave, your holiday time, and go on a mission trip. Whatever God's saying, make the sacrifice. Because there's something that we are preparing. The altar needs to be set before God can send the anointing. So that's only the first part. Number two, ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. So the anointing comes from the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? At the end of Luke and also in the beginning of Acts, Jesus is saying, hey, listen here, I, I'm, I'm seeing that you're ready. You've now received the teaching, but wait for something. 
And you need to wait for what? For the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot be Christians without being Christian. Being under the anointing. You cannot do it. So you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. So this asking is, is just this. In faith, God, I ask that you come and fill me with your Spirit. And we read in the Scripture, in the context that that God is, uh, or Jesus speaking here, it's in the context of food. So I've often used this example. Often people think asking for the Holy Spirit, asking for the anointing is like, Mama, can I sweeties for Can I get sweets before lunch? And we all know it's wrong. No, you cannot get sweets before lunch. No, this is not how it works. This is actually the one thing that makes you useful in the kingdom of God. So you need to ask for it constantly. Even while you're doing number one, while you're preparing, it's like, Holy Spirit, just help me, help me in sacrifice, help me to count the cost, help me to understand while I'm praying this prayer, not my will, but your will, help me. So you get filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's little kid going to his mommy and saying, Mom, Mom, I'm so hungry. Give me broccoli. What, what are you going to do? You're going to say, yes, let's go. It's healthy. It's good. Let's take out the grass, the lawn in our backyard. Let's plant broccoli. Do you want broccoli more? Yes, let's go. Because it's the good stuff. So you ask. And some of you are so afraid to ask stuff of God. And then there are others that are not afraid to ask God, but you always ask for financial help. You always ask for some selfish desire that you have. You never ask for the Holy Spirit. God just says, ask for the Holy Spirit. And the rest will be sorted out once you pursue the kingdom of God. That's the promise. Matthew 6.33. Number three, stay close to anointed people. So Elijah and Elijah, they've been walking a road, and now it's time for Elijah to go up into the heavens. Elijah knows this because he's a prophet. First they go to the group of prophets in, in Bethel, and then the group of prophets tell Elijah, listen here, your master's going to go. And he's like, keep quiet. In plain English, shut up, I know this. Then they go to Jericho and the same company of prophets, another company of prophets, tell him, hey, listen here, your master's going to go up. And he's like, shut up. And then in verse 6, Elijah says to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. So this is what Elijah's saying. Hey, listen here, stay here. Don't go with me. And then Elisha Replied, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Why? Because Elijah understands that he is to follow in the footsteps of the one who threw the cloak over him. He needs to be close to him. Because this is where the anointing now is. God has chosen Elijah to be the anointed one under whose covering, under whose anointing he should operate, and there's something that he needs to get from him. 
You can get something from people. It's not that we worship people never, but there's a principle in Scripture where we receive impartation by staying closely connected to people, by serving people. In your house, you've received something from your dad or your mom by just serving them. If you didn't serve them, you need to go and apologize and ask them, Mom, Dad, please pray over me. I want to receive something from you. Because that's, there's, yes, significance in just normal inheritance. Your mom has a property in Harold's Bay. She gives it to you after or in a will. But there's a spiritual inheritance also. Stay close to the people that God has called you to. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, again the cloak, and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over and draw on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm taken, uh, taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. So the double portion that you can receive, it's a biblical principle it's already communicated in Deuteronomy. And I forgot the, forgot the chapter. But when there's a, a father with a son, there is an inheritance that that son can receive. And it can be double what the father received. I loved my, my dad when he, he married my brother. And he would often just say this to us. He said, I've done all that I could for you. And I understand if you've taken this that I've given you, whether it's teaching, whether it's an example, if you've taken this, what I've given you, then my ceiling is going to be your floor. So you're not going to start where I started. You're going to go from where I left. And that's where the double anointing comes in. Jesus communicated the same thing. He said in John 14, 12, he says, Hey, you're impressed by this, but you will do even greater things than I'm doing. It's the double anointing. Not that we are better than Jesus, just the principle of Scripture. If there's a father that's laying down his life for his children, and he's setting the example, teaching them to go in the ways of the Lord, then the sons will start on a higher level. There are people in this congregation in our, in our youth, they will go much further than we've ever gone, gone. And we should allow for them that opportunity. They will be challenging, really challenging, because they will go out and do stuff that we never thought is, impos is possible. There's already stuff that's happening in our youth that I'm like, wow, I, I didn't think this would be possible. They're writing songs that are almost better than our adult songs. And I'm like, wow, where does this come from? Delano, that's in our youth, Rika says he doesn't want to teach at youth because Delano is, in terms of theological knowledge, so far beyond Rika's. Brilliant. So stay close to people, but then also stay in environments where the anointing is, where there is a, just an affirmation of what the Spirit is doing. 
a celebration of who God is. So where's that? That is in worship service like this, intercession meetings. And tomorrow, if you're really hungry, only if you're hungry, you can come. We're going to pray together and we're going to trust that we, that we establish this, the first love principle that we'll always just love God. We're just going to worship together, pray together because God's been talking to us to marry intercession and worship in this church. And we're going to do it tomorrow at 6.30. But if you're not hungry, you shouldn't come. Because it might be a little awkward for you. So stay in those environments. Stay close to those people. And just maybe a side note, the, the, anointing, the anointed people are not always the people that sound very holy. It's the people that are, are really just following after Jesus. You can see in their eyes they love Jesus. Just stay close to those people. It's not always the person with the mic. Not always the person with the platform or, or the two and a half million followers on Instagram, on social media, TikTok. It's the person with the anointing. Ask God to show you who those people is. We had a rugby player in our congregation, played for the SW Aranda, and, and God spoke to him and said, Hey, I want you to get something from Brunel Maton. Brunel Maton is in her 40s, unmarried. And he's, he comes to me and says, hey, am I allowed to go and just get something from her? I'm like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Take her out for coffee, spend time with her in, in intercession. He's a young guy, he's married. I trust you, go for it. Because he saw something under Nell that he wanted. And he realized that it's not, it's not, only a selfish desire, but it's something that God is stirred in his heart so that he can receive something, so that he can fulfill the task and mission that God has called him to. Number four, abide in the anointed one. John 15 was four, and Luke quoted these scriptures last week also. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It's impossible to, uh, to bear fruit without being in Christ. 1 John 20, or 2 verse 20 and 27, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And this is actually in the context of the discussion of the Antichrist. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you. So there's something of God that abides in us through the Holy Spirit. And you have now... No need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as, as it has taught you, abide in him. So it's not to say, thank you, Lord, I've prepared myself. I've counted the cost. I've prayed the dangerous prayer. I am... I've asked for the anointing through the Holy Spirit. I've now positioned myself. My close friends are anointed people. I come to church. I worship Him. I've spent some time with people that really value the presence of God. But then you need to stay in that place. Because we love the, we're the microwave generation. Put it in, come out. If it's not... Warm in 30 seconds, you're irritated, you're frustrated, 
throw the microwave away. No, you need to abide, and that's sometimes that's discipline. You know, wake up early or go to bed late or go out and pray or sacrifice money to go and do a freedom encounter or whatever it might be. Abide. Say, so, sorry, no, I can't I can't watch the rugby. I need to just spend time with Jesus. Hey, listen here, wife, kids, dad's going to just take 15 minutes out quickly. I just need to spend time with Jesus. I don't feel like I'm abiding currently. I don't think I'm going to bear fruit. And the fruit that I'm bearing now, it's not the fruit of Christ, not the fruit of the anointed one. So you need to abide. It means to remain with Jesus. There's a story of Smith Wigglesworth where he crossed, he crossed the street in, in England and apparently he stopped in the middle and the guy who was his host stopped with him and traffic was flying, flying past and they walked at the end across the road and the guy's like, hey, what did you do? He said, no, just for that moment, I felt like I missed. <laughs> I was not in connection with my Lord, Jesus Christ. And I just wanted to return to that connection. Beautiful. Beautiful. Stay connected to the Lord. That's the beauty. If the anointing is inside of you through the Holy Spirit, you can always be anointed. And everything you do can be anointed. And I think this is what God has called us as a church, is we, we get the anointing once we together with Christians. When we pray together when we crowd in our private place but then we go and do our ordinary jobs and then the anointing comes into effect and suddenly the excel sheets are brilliant suddenly our service it's more sacrificial suddenly we understand wow not that idea but that idea why because it comes from the abiding presence of the lord the anointing and we will bear fruit in everything that we do. We were at the Chuck of Munte in the, in the desert. We did some quad biking. We were just looking out over these plains of and waves of mountains of sand. And uh, I was reminded of somebody who said, somebody once looked out at, at this sand and just saw sand. Another guy came along. And he looked at it and he saw silica. Do you know what silica is? It's the element then that gets used in silicon, that gets used in transistors, that gets used into computers. So think of our world without silica. So somehow God hid all of that in the desert in sand. All of that we're using every day, every device. He hid it in sand and he, and he gave the anointing to somebody to, to get it out, to search it out. Love Proverbs 25 too, where it says, The glory of God is to conceal a matter. The glory of a king is to search it out. 